I think when we're kids, we don't really realize why our parents are the way they are. And then you start doing some research and you go, oh, okay, now that makes sense. That was poet Shizue Siegel. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this episode, Shizue shares the story of her mom and her grandparents through colorful tales from Kumamoto Province in Japan through the sugar fields in Hawaii, and finally to farmland near San Luis Obispo. She wraps up this episode with the tale of her paternal grandparents' journey from Japan to Hawaii and then to Stockton. Here's Shizui. So the ancestors that I have researched the most are the ones that I actually knew before oh. they died. Right. Um, so that would be my my mother's mother, um, Umematsu Tsutsumi, uh, and her first husband died um, before I was born. Okay. Um, but they had come, Sakuichi and Umematsu. That was her first husband. Uh, uh, Umematsu was my grandmother's um my grandmother's name, I, her her maiden name was Umematsu Yokote. Okay. And my grandfather's name was Sakuichi Tsutsumi. Okay. And they both came from um, Kyushu, uh, in the Kumamoto province of Kyushu, uh, which was the southern island of Japan. Okay. Uh, and apparently... There, there were some companies there that helped uh, people immigrate. Okay. Uh, so my grandmother actually was born in Hawaii. Oh, wow. But Hawaii was a territory at that mm-hmm. time, so she didn't have citizenship. Right. Um, uh, but I was think... she en route to the U.S.? Do you know? Or, uh, or no, sorry, what not her, was but was her, her, her mother? She she comes from a really really tiny village uh, in the hills of Kumamoto. Okay. Uh, and I uh, when I got to visit there, I thought, oh my God, it's almost as if they just kept going further and further into the hills to avoid conflict or conscription or whatever um so they were subsistence farmers uh, both umematsu and sakuichi their families uh lived in neighboring villages um but by the time they were born their the family holdings were basically just big enough to maybe raise enough rice to feed a family of four or five wow okay uh, so there wasn't a lot of future there. Right. So my grandmother, um, her parents this had heard in the 1890s, um, they'd heard that um, uh, they were um, hiring people for to work in sugarcane plantations in Hawaii. Okay. So they signed up. And it was a two or three year contract, and uh, they would pay your passage, and then you would work on a plantation. And the conditions were pretty brutal in on these remote plantations. 
and so they felt like they weren't making any any headway um, because they couldn't save money because it, you know they they were the uh, the companies used the company store model where they would charge you so much for provisions that all the money that you made was spent just to you know to mm-hmm. live and uh, so then when she had um, a child there was no they they had to bring the children to work in the fields uh, and then when they got a little older they would you know put them on the side of the field and they would be subject to the snakes and other dangers uh, around so uh, my grandmother I think th- anyway they came back uh, to my, Japan yeah okay uh, so my grandmother sort of grew up knowing that she had been born in this ex- exotic land of red soil and, you know, uh, volcanic cliffs. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, so I think that she sort of had this dream of maybe something bigger than the life that she had. Mm. And we're talking really narrow mountain villages mm-hmm. uh, with just enough arable land along the creeks. And then these forested hills that were so thick with bamboo that you couldn't really use them. You're right. And um, so anyway, apparently there was a guy in a neighboring village that she met at and a Wong festival, you know, a summer dance festival. Okay. And he said that he was, she was 12 years old at the time. Okay. And he said that he was going to America okay. with some other folks yeah, and uh, some of his cousins. Uh, so he's talking about the preparations he was making and, uh, you know, wondering what it was going to be like. She was completely intrigued. And he remembered how interested he was. And so five years later, when he and his cousins settled outside of San Luis Obispo, oh, wow. um, and they had rented some, uh, some land and started growing produce. Um, and I think that when he probably got to San Luis Obispo, he probably thought he had died and gone to heaven <laughs> right. because the land was so much more spacious than um, in Japan. Mm-hmm. The nearest um, sort of wide agricultural valley to where my grandparents came from was this town called Yamaga. But I think all the land had been bought up there a long time before, and mm-hmm. there was no way that somebody like him could possibly aspire to much more than what he had. In San Luis Obispo, it's almost everywhere you look. It's right. It's fertile, arable land. Right, and the thing is that the European heritage folks focused on wheat, hay, and cattle, mm-hmm. and. Um, in order to raise a cow-calf pair, you need about 100 acres. Wow. So for 100, uh, 100 or 200 herd, head herd, that is 100 cow-calf pairs, you need 1,000 acres. Wow. So uh, there was all these little bits of land along San Luis Creek that 
that the ranchers didn't think were good for anything. Mm. So my uh, grandparents and his cousins um, leased some land. And they were really good at sort of hydraulic engineering because they had to figure out how to water their fields. You know, so they would, in Japan, they would take the water um, from their local creek and figure out how to bring it to the rice paddies and so forth. Mm -hmm. So they had a pretty good idea of how to engineer things out of bamboo. Oh, wow. Well, in California, the cheap material was redwood. Okay. So I have these photos that they took when they made enough money that they, they... they hired somebody to come and take these panoramic photos of their farm. And then they also took studio portraits of themselves in awesome. the, these suits, you know, with the stick yes. pin and the tie. Yes. But the thing is that the it was the it was the photos of the farms that was the, that were the clincher because mm-hmm. they're you know, anybody could walk into a studio with a rented suit. Right. But my uh my my uh, grandfather and his cousins, they had these photos taken that just show like, you know, maybe 50 acres and the hills in the background mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a stack of hay in the foreground and wagons and plows with horses and, uh, and this aqueduct hmm. that um, was probably about 20 feet high. Uh, and then tapered down to bring the water um, to the fields. That they made. Yeah. They of, built the whole thing wood? out of redwood. Wow. You know, and they tarred the seams with with, uh, with with tar. Redwood that came from Northern California, probably, right? Yeah, I don't know how far south they go. They go. Um, but from the north, <laughs> from the direction north, <laughs> let's say. Yeah, it's hard to say because I think that, it, you know, the Sierras, if you go straight east, you know, you will eventually get to the Sierras. And, mm-hmm. and I think sequoias grew um, yes. pretty far south. Yes. So, uh, but in any case, um, yeah, they they had seen the windmills that the cattle ranchers were using to... Um, uh, to pump water lo- into holding loves. tanks mm-hmm. and then they would take that they would take that water and run it out to the to, to the, the fields. And it just Amazing. so happened that around that time San Luis Obispo was growing um, because the um, oil had been discovered in the area. Right. Um, so there were more people that were moving there. Uh, so there there was a need for um, produce. Mm. So the, he he happened to come in at the at the right time, and then, um, so he sent these photos to my grandmother. She always used to say, "No, I'm not a picture bride. I knew him before." Right. <laughs> <laughs> when she was twelve. <laughs> so, uh, but it's amazing, you know, that yeah. he remembered her. He that kept she track made of her. such an impression. Yeah, from when she was twelve, that he he sent for, that he proposed when she was seventeen, and he and she was still there. He knew where to find her, all that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, the villages are pretty small, yeah. and um, and uh, marriages were arranged by uh, what's called the Baishakunin or go between. 
Okay. So uh, he apparently wrote to a local Bai Shakuning um, and said, you know, there was this girl, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then it turned out, and I did not know this until I went back in um, 2002. I, I, I went to Japan uh, and I went to Kumamoto for the first time. Mm-hmm. And my mother didn't know where the farm was. Mm. Uh, all she knew was the name of this town, Yamaga. Mm-hmm. And then she knew the name of the village. Uh, but when, I, when we got to Kumamoto, the train station, we went to the tourist office and they said, oh, they changed the names of all the villages. Ooh. Yeah, we can't tell tricky. you where that is anymore. Oh. So, Thanks I, for nothing. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so I was so disappointed, you know, that we went into Kumamoto City uh, and we, I don't drink usually, but, um, we went to this bar and I said, yeah, let's just get a drink. I'm just if so discouraged, blah, blah, blah. Traveling halfway around the world <laughs> and then finding out that your ancestral village name had changed. It had disappeared. I think that yeah. you, you deserve a drink for that one. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the bar was, um, not really open. They said, oh, well, we're, we're not open yet. Um, uh, we're having band rehearsal. Okay. And it turned out that the bar was owned by a guy, Jing. Uh, uh, a, I think he was Australian. Okay. And uh, so he and two of his Western buddies uh, were practicing. And then the bass player came a little bit later. He was a Japanese lawyer. Mm, okay. He was a real estate lawyer. Okay. Ooh, and anyway, so they were they let us in and they served us a drink because they heard my sob story and they felt <laughs> sorry for me. So we traded stories about how they had come there to study sword fighting, kendo, oh. okay. because... The uh, Australians who, did. Yes. Okay. Uh, because Miyamoto Musashi, who is the great swordsman of Japan, had actually lived in um, Kumamoto area a long time ago. I mean, centuries ago. Sure. Uh, but uh, so anyway, it turned out that this lawyer, right, the bass player, the real estate lawyer, right? He says, "Oh, I know the name. I I know that village. Yeah, they changed the name from this to that, and uh, I have some maps in the car." Oh. So he went and he found a place where he could get color xeroxes at ten o'clock at night. Okay. And then he marked out the route and he told us the bus numbers. Wow. And told us where to catch the bus to Yamaga and where to transfer and go to this town in the middle of nowhere. It's like a treasure map, almost. Yeah. And I mean, (laughs) (laughs) and he says, you know, and when you get there, the bus stop is right across from the the sort of the town hall and you can actually go there and you can get your father's um i'm blanking out on the name it's not it's it's the family registry got it so um it it actually shows your ancestry going back Mm -hmm. um so yeah 1500 yen i got my grandfather's and my grandmother's and they said okay come back in 20 minutes you know, we can look it up and crank out a copy for you. You found the treasure. 
<laughs> right. Amazing. And uh, so we said, okay, let's walk around. And uh, but we had no idea where um, my grandfather's house had been. Okay. Right. So we're walking along the creek, and um, we see this this old guy, and we say, yeah, come on, that's I, uh, you know. Uh, my grandfather, you know, used to live around here, and um, his his uh, his mother's name was Mika, and uh, uh, she lived, you know, for quite a long time. He says, "Oh, yes, I know where their house is." He says, "Wait right here." He disappears. He comes back on a little putt putt motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> He leads us to this place. Now, actually, he says, go go back in that direction. I'm going to go ahead and warn them that you're coming. Okay. So he gets on his little scooter. And, and no strangers had visited in <laughs> 300 years. <laughs> so we get to the house, yeah. and um, this guy says, oh, yeah, I... Um, uh, I took care of your great grandmother. Wow! And um, and uh, your Would grandfather. Would that be your, your grandmother's mother? It was my grandfather's. Your grandfather's mother. Mother. Okay, got it. And um, apparently, they were really grateful to my grandfather because my grandfather gave his little tiny holding. Uh, his land holding to this family in exchange for looking out for them, for wow. uh, um, his mother. Mm -hmm. And then we went inside, and there is her portrait wow. hanging up in this in the sitting room. Wow. So I mean, it was just so yeah uncanny. Yeah. So, uh, but there's there's a lot of times where I felt like you know. Um, my life is pretty unorthodox, and there's a lot of times where I don't have a clue what I'm doing, but things like this happen. And they cl it clicks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. So your grandmother came over from Japan to the San Luis air, right in there where your grandfather had the, the land. And right. The farm. Mm -hmm. Right. And. Okay. And that's all on your mom's side, correct? Right. That's okay. on my mother's side. Uh, her name was Irene Yoshiko okay. Tutsumi. And um, the other thing that happened with my grandfather, right, was that in um, 1910, apparently there was some sort of really big storm um, it, uh, along that coast there. Uh, and... It washed out, it destroyed half of, of a pier that was being built to ship oil. Um, the, you know, there was oil being drilled in that area, and to they built this pier to ship the oil to refineries, probably in Southern California. Mm. Uh, so there was this big storm that wiped out half the pier. Okay. And they'd already built all these holding tanks for the oil, and there was sort of a little company town there and everything. But after sitting on it for a couple of years, they decided to just give up on it and build another pier further north along the coast. So this land, uh, 140 acres of land, was all of a sudden sort of uh, released. Freed up. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my grandfather got to lease that land. In a, was it uh, contiguous with all the other land that he had? No. It, it was separate. Right. Okay. The The other land was uh, closer to San Luis, and it was along San Luis Creek, and the, uh, whereas this was right on the coast. And I think okay. that there were two parcels there, and he started out with um, the uphill one, and then he added the second one later, because mm -hmm. there were two um, landowners uh, involved. But my mother was named after Irene Carpenter, who was the wife of the owner of the first parcel. Oh, okay. So, um, uh, yeah, so he, he managed to luck out on this big uh, holding at a time when there were still Japanese immigrants coming. Um, mm. So he built this, like, um, sort of bunkhouse where uh, people could stay. And it was for, you know, a lot of people working uh, at a farm like this was their first foothold. And then they would be able to save some money and buy their own or rent their own land or start their own business or whatever. Right. So. Um, and what year did was your mother born? My mother was born in 1920. 20, okay. And, um, yeah, she has an interesting story, too. But I could... I, I, I'm actually writing a memoir or a family, sort of a hybrid personal memoir and a family saga. Okay. So the first part of it is going to go into detail about my grandparents and my mother. And, the, you know, they, and I'm really fascinated by how circumstance and environment shapes people. Um, and, uh, I think when we're kids, we don't really realize why our parents are the way they are. And then you start doing some research and you go, oh, okay, now that makes sense. And, and you get older yourself. <laughs> that helps too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you you, you uh, discover what decisions are. Right. Based on things like environment and circumstance. Yeah. 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 Like for my mother, one of the things, she was very, very stubborn on a certain level. And I think it's because she started out, she was born as the third sibling. And uh, by the time she was two, she was the eldest because the two older ones died of scarlet fever. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh so it completely transformed her yeah, life. Yeah, that'll do it. For, from being the the pet, the the, the baby, baby, to being the the eldest daughter, yeah. who is like a glorified servant. Right. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of psychology, and I think that it's it's really interesting to to realize how much of that stuff shapes you you know the attitudes that you grew up with the values that that um that you learn from your parents and your mm -hmm. grandparents mm -hmm. you know as a kid you think oh that's how life is that's how people are this it's all is you normal. know too right yeah and then the older you get the more you realize different people have different values different circumstances some people are very dog eat dog and some people are very kind and compassionate mm -hmm. And uh, that part of it doesn't have to do, I mean, some of it is related to culture, mm -hmm. I think, you know. Um, 
like I think that I, I can generalize that a lot of Japanese uh, folks, um, both Japanese Americans and Japanese in Japan, there's, <clears throat> there's a tendency to internalize and, and, you know, blame ourselves or uh, take on too much responsibility, you know, whereas there are some cultures where, no, I deserve everything. And if I don't get my way, it's your fault. <laughs> Other opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, so I think there's a real a conflict with some of the dominant cultures in American history mm. uh, and um, families like you know, my family, mm -hmm. um, you know, they were very much community oriented. They were hardworking. Um, they were, they would do things like there was a family, um, that had, had originally worked on, on, on my grandparents' farm. And then they went off on this, this couple went off on their own. They had a couple of children. The wife died. The husband goes, how am I going to work if I've got two kids? Mm -hmm. So my grandmother took in the two kids for a year. Wow. Okay. So that he could go out and work. And then he found uh, somebody else to marry. And then he came and took the kids wow. back. So that kind of uh, thing was really common. I was going to say also, like you said, with your grandfather um immigrants helping other immigrants right arri uh, you know arrive and get a foothold right a lot of that yeah right and and um it's it's common in in many cultures you know it's like the bank of america for instance was started by ap giannini and it they uh the italian immigrants couldn't get loans from american banks so um they sort of pooled their money and, uh, you know, among themselves and, you know, um, took turns borrowing it or, or doing whatever. And the Japanese had the same kind of um, system. Um, uh, there were in, in the, with the Japanese immigrants, a lot of times it was organized by what prefecture or province You're you from, came from. Right. Uh, and then um, people would put in money every month and then, uh, People would would ask, um, you know, to borrow. I need to buy a tractor. Can I, can I borrow the money and blah blah blah. So there would be a joint decision made somehow mm. uh, as to who would be able to use the money at yeah um, at a specific time. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, you know, the value systems were such that, I mean, I think in Japan, if you did not do the right thing. You were ostracized, mm -hmm. you know, basically, you know, you, nobody in the village would talk to you. Right. So it, it's, it, that sort of, it was a self-reinforcing um, thing. Yeah. Uh, although I, I've heard stories about, uh, you know, people that didn't fit that, but I know that for me on both sides of my family, my, my, my mother's and my father's, the, they had really strong value systems that had to do with our hard work and honesty, compassion. They were really involved in um, Jodo Shinshu Buddhism. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, they were pretty modest about what they did. Mm -hmm. It was sort of like, why do you need to brag? Why do you need to show off? Right. Um, um, you don't need to brag because doing the right thing is just, what, just what, you, what do. you do. Yeah. Um, can we talk about your dad's 
side? Yeah. Um, my father's side. Oh, I have to tell you one other thing about my mother's uh, father. Please. And I did not know this until I went to Japan in 2003. Um, that I, I, I got his, uh, his family tree and where his father's name should have been, it was blank. So I asked one of my aunts who had uh, come from Japan. Uh, and it's not she, immaculate conception. <laughs> she said, oh, that means he was illegitimate. Oh. And she says, I know this because when Uncle Frank proposed to me in 1948, I took the train all the way down there and I got this paperwork mm. and I looked at that. And I didn't tell anybody. Hmm. And don't you tell anybody. Don't tell my daughters. Don't tell anybody wow. that your grandfather was illegitimate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Anyway. So his mom was probably ostracized. Yes. For that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he didn't have a future. I mean, right. not only did he have a very small holding, but because he was illegitimate, uh, he really didn't have a future there. Right. Because I always wondered, I, I knew so many families that they made a lot of money or a decent amount of money and then they went back to Japan. Mm. So why didn't he do that? Right. Yeah. So um, my father's side, they came from Hiroshima area and um, which is a lot more sort of urbanized uh, and um, my father my father's parents um, ran a single-room occupancy hotel in Stockton, inner city Stockton. So they moved from Hiroshima. Yeah, they came from to California. Hiroshima. They went to Hawaii first. Oh, they didn't do well in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. um, the father said uh, they they stayed in Hawaii long enough to have two sons. Okay. Then the father says, we're not getting anywhere here. Mm. So you take the, the boys back to Japan, mm. and I'll go ahead to California. And when I get settled, I'll call for you. So she, she takes the two boys back to Hiroshima. Uh, and Who had the harder job there? <laughs> right? <laughs> I think your grandmother did. Oh, my grandmother was amazing. Her yeah. story, you know, uh, she was like a saint in the family. Okay. And she sort of is the inspiration for that painting I did um, in Paris Fix Mundi, mm -hmm. where the Japanese grandmother is like the real ruler yes. of the world. You forget know, it's Napoleon. like, yeah, forget Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's that's inspired by your grandmother? Yeah. Or that, that face. Okay. Yeah, she doesn't look anything like that. She was very skinny. Okay. Uh, but... Uh, she was, she had this spiritual force that for, for decades after she died, she died in the mid fifties and, uh, you know, she raised like, I mean, she had 10 kids, right. And then wow. they had kids. And yeah. I remember counting the, the relatives, I don't know, before all the grandkids, the, your generation. Uh, yeah, my generation, at one time, I counted them, and there were 65 relatives oh at that time. Oh, my goodness. You know, just the, the just from aunts the two and uncles of your and cousins. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And we were so close-knit in a lot of ways, yeah. and they were very sort of humble in a lot of ways, and they had a great sense of humor, uh, most of them. Mm -hmm. 
and most of them had kind of working class jobs. They most of them didn't go to college. They weren't really into book learning that much. Even the ones that did go to college, they sort of did practical kinds of work, mm. except for my father. Mm. My father was the intellectual of the family. Well, he, was he the oldest or the second born? Uh, no, he was the oldest of or, the of the of the, uh, the middle set. Oh, okay. So there were some older siblings, and then there was a middle uh, set, okay. and then there was a couple of younger ones. Okay. So my father was the oldest of that set in the middle. And I, some of his his siblings were born in the U.S. or some of the younger ones. Uh they were all born in the U.S. except for the two oldest ones had been born in Hawaii. Okay. Uh uh, but but those two oldest ones, when my grandmother, she went back to Japan, she waited for two years for the, the my grandfather to send oh, for her. Okay. Never heard from him. So she... I had a sneaking suspicion that was going to be part of the story. <laughs> so... Men are just the worst. Sorry. Oh, and he was a spoiled oldest son, and his parents didn't want him to go in the first place because they wanted to rely on him in their old age, but he wanted to go to America, blah, blah, blah. Did anyone ever track him down? uh, So what happened was she left the two boys with with her in-laws, so she borrowed enough money to, uh, to go to the U.S., and she had some lucky breaks along the way too, because she had no idea where where he would be. Mm-hmm. But things happened, like on on the ship from Hiroshima to Yokohama, she befriends because she's a very warm person. She befriends a Chinese woman who is a nursemaid for the British Council okay. family. And the woman is like crying every day because she didn't want to leave Shanghai. Mm. Uh, but she's got this job to take care of this infant, not only across the Pacific, but across the U.S. Then, to London. And then the Atlantic, yeah, yeah. So um, my, my, she says, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I love my fiancé so much, but he said this would be a good opportunity, blah, blah, blah. So my... My grandmother says, follow your heart. So when they get to Yokohama, she quits the job. And she recommends my grandmother for the job. So my grandmother gets free passage. Oh, wow. Taking care of this infant, uh, you know, on the trip from Yokohama to San Francisco. Okay. And it it helped her also get through um, customs and and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh and um, and they said, you know, you're, you're doing such a great job. You're so great with the baby. Why don't you come with us to New York? And my grandma said, no, I have to find my husband. Okay. So, but she goes to the prefectural association, right? Uh, and by the way. Here in San Francisco? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At that time, it was before Angel Island. Angel Island hadn't been built yet. So the ships would come into the uh, Oriental Mail um, pier, which was like around Brannon and the Embarcadero. Okay. Uh, but the little Japan town at that time was on Stevenson Alley around 5th and 6th okay. streets. 
Okay. So there were Japanese hotels, mm-hmm. there were uh, manju shops, mm-hmm. uh, sweet shops, bathhouses, uh, employment uh, places. Not far from what is now what's left of Manila Town down there. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and um, that area was uh, pretty badly damaged by um, earthquake. The, the earthquake. Yeah. Uh, and then it moved over to South Park, the, the Japan town, oh. um, a- after the quake. But um, anyway, so she went to the prefectural association and, and said, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, the Hiroshima Kenjin Kai. And she says, you know, I'm looking for, uh, you know, my husband, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and somebody said, oh, you know, I think he's working on, on, um, on, uh, in an onion farm in the Delta. Okay. So she goes, and in those days you could take a ferry all the way, all up, the way up to Delta. Wow. Okay. Uh, so she took the ferry to Stockton and then somehow she got to, you know, this place where he was. And uh, she talked herself into a job as the cook and the washerwoman. That was Shizue Siegel. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, Shizue concludes the story of her ancestors and her own life. Part two drops tomorrow, not Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have more than 160 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, please rate and review our show so we can reach even more folks. We love email. Drop us a line at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong. Stay healthy, keep dreaming, and we'll see you next time on Storied San Francisco. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.fm podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.